Hey, this is Dave Wonders, host of Dave Wonders, and I love conversations, whether it's with local pastors, artists, filmmakers, authors, random people from the community, any opportunity to sip a cup of coffee and have a good conversation. So sit back and relax. For more conversations like this one, you can visit our website, thepulse.mn, or you can tune in weekdays from 2 to 6 Central at 104.3 The Pulse in Central Minnesota or online at thepulse.mn. Hey, this is Dave. And before we open up today's episode, I do want to let you know that it is touching on some sensitive, potentially triggering topics. We are discussing the topic of self-harm. And though it is a frank discussion, it's not a graphic discussion, but you might just want to be careful of who is listening to it with you. My name is Dave Wonders, and March is Self-Harm Awareness Month. And self-harm uh, can be an uncomfortable topic, uh, but it's something that it's, it strikes a lot of families. And so we want to be able to give you tools, resources to help you when those situations arise in your families or uh, in your, your churches. And so today uh, we're chat- chatting with Dr. Joni DeBrito. She's a licensed counselor at Focus on the Family. And uh, Joni, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Why do people intentionally harm themselves? How does this behavior tend to start? Well, it tends to start because people are feeling emotional pain, and they're not exactly sure how to get in touch with that. When we have a physical pain, um, we may have a broken bone or see ourselves bleeding or what have you, and we humans become very good at connecting the two, connecting the pain with the symptoms that we see and so forth. When people feel emotional pain, often they're not able to really connect the symptoms that they're feeling with the actual pain. And so cutting or burning or scratching or headbanging or any of the things that people do to injure themselves helps them to externalize the pain. And in some ways, they may want to externalize it just to be able to feel some relief, which they do feel, and which is why it can become kind of like an addictive process because there's a bit of relief when you you initially relieve that emotional pain through hurting yourself, but of course we know the long-term consequences are not good, just like a drug can sometimes make you feel better initially, but over time that drug may not be good for you. So um, they will do it to externalize pain, and sometimes they also do it to bring attention to other people that they're really hurting. And some people will want other people to see the burns or the scratches or whatever on them So they'll say, hey, what's going on? You know, it looks like you might be struggling or hurting yourself. Tell me about that. So it could be an opportunity um, or a kind of a cry for help, rather, for someone to be able to ask, you know, how someone else is feeling. In other cases, people try to cover up their cutting or or their self-injury. But there are those times that people will do it to try to cry out for help. What do we do in a, in a situation where you think a person might be self-harming, but you aren't sure that they are self-harming? So the best thing that you can do is be open and honest. And what you want to do is you want to ask open-ended questions, not closed-ended questions such as, are you hurting yourself? But you might say stuff like, um, you know, tell me about what's going on in your life. How are you doing? How are things going with your friends? So you can start a little bit of a dialogue in that way. 
And then if you feel like you're not getting answers or you're not getting as far as you'd like to be, you can say, well, I just want to share with you that I have some concerns and I'm worried for you or I, I fear for you or whatever. So you're helping the person understand how their behavior might be affecting you. It doesn't help to come across as accusatory. Are you doing this? Stop it. That does not work well. But if you say... I'm concerned because these are the things I've observed. And talk about observations. Don't try to throw out a diagnosis. I think you might be depressed or what have you. That's really more for the professionals. But to say, it seems like you're struggling, and this is why I think. I've noticed you're spending more time alone in your room. I've noticed, um, I've wondered if maybe you're hurting yourself because, gosh, it's 95 degrees outside and the humidity is 85% and you've been walking around in hoodies all summer. It feels to me like you might be covering something up. What's that about? And so forth. So if you share your observations and how it's affecting you, kids especially are much more likely to open up. How do we create a a judgment-free culture even within the church around self-harm so that people might feel more comfortable opening up about it? Because there's some some people that, you know, might want to be they don't want to talk about it, but there are right. people that are saying, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm drowning, I'm hurting, but mm-hmm. I'm afraid of what the reaction is going to be if mm-hmm. I share this. Yeah, and in the church, there also is some misinformation that sometimes floats around and people ascribe, you know, this, you're doing this uh, because you're being punished by God or things like that. And, and those kinds of statements aren't helpful to people who are struggling in whatever area. Um, there could be something that there are some consequences that God is allowing you to experience because of something in your life that I would, I certainly wouldn't ascribe that to self-harm. That might be the case in certain other things that you might be going through. One of the best things that youth leaders and so forth can do in churches is talk not only with kids but also with parents about the fact that this problem exists for a lot of kids. And we need to recognize it and let them know that we're aware that some of them might be struggling. So they're much more likely to come forward and talk about it if they know that we're aware and we care and we want to hear about it, that we're not afraid to hear about it. It's something that we would much rather know that this is happening so we can help you rather than find out after the fact, after some really significant damage has been done. In, in your observation, are you seeing this as a problem that is getting worse, or has it always been this bad? As the lives of, of young people have changed over the years and, and different pressures and things like that. Well, so I can tell you what the statistics say, and the statistics say that there's been a 50% increase in self-injury reported among young females since 2009. So that's um, obviously in the last, you know, almost 14 years now. Um, and I think it's continued to increase. I'm looking at some statistics from May of 2022. So these are very recent statistics. Um, So it's definitely on the rise, and we think that probably a lot of it has a lot to do with social media. Social media is very highly correlated with a lot of mental health issues these days, particularly for young people and particularly for young women, because young women are on social media a lot. 
and there's a lot of cyberbullying that goes on there. It's uh, nastier than in-person bullying because people jump on the bandwagon and they say much worse things um, with the protection of the Internet around them than they might say to someone in person. Um, they go online and they compare themselves to other people their age and the images they see, which we know are not always even true images. They, they're probably doctored or changed or photoshopped or what have you. And they compare themselves and realize that according to their, from their perception, they're not measuring up. So they feel bad, feel like they can't measure up and so forth. And that seems to have a lot to do with the increase in, um, in uh, the self-harm reports among females since 2009. So obviously we want to, to help people that are, are struggling through this, but uh, what are some things that we can do to help safeguard, uh, to help so that this behavior doesn't even start? Like, you know, is it preventative measures versus... Yes. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because there are a lot of things that you can do. The first thing is, since this typically is more of a teenage college student behavior, it, it does happen in adults, but the first age of onset is usually about 13, and about 17% of kids are self-injuring, as, as far as we know from reporting. It's probably more than that, and it's more females than males, uh, about 15% of college students. So yes, there are a number of things that parents can do leading up to those teen years. And the first thing is to teach your children good self-care. And that's because the good self-care often keeps them from doing some of the other things that aren't so healthy for them. So if they understand the importance of eating well and staying hydrated and getting out in the sunshine and getting exercise and proper sleep and so forth, then for instance they are less likely to be on the phone all hours of the day. One of the issues that contributes to this is we have a generation of kids who are sleep-deprived because they have their phones on all day and they're texting all night and so forth, so their brains never get to sleep. And we know that sleep deprivation is huge. Secondary to that is this important issue of exercise, that exercise is one of the best antidepressants and self-harm is not actually a... Um, a diagnosis in and of itself, but it's very much related to depression, anxiety, eating disorders, drug abuse, etc. And so if you're out getting exercise, you're probably less likely to use drugs, you're less likely to be depressed, you're less likely to be using your phone as your only friend. So those self-care things are really important. The other thing, though, is for parents to establish, and you alluded to this earlier, this open communication where you let your children know that every you can talk to me about anything. I can't tell you exactly what my response is going to be other than I am going to listen to you and I am going to hear what you have to say. And then we have to follow through that when our kids come to us, we have to work really hard to listen and listen and listen more before we say anything. So we really get a picture. And then probably what we should do at that point is say, okay, let me make sure I have this right. I think what I heard you say is, and then try to summarize what they said. And if you feel like you have some wisdom to share that would be helpful, that's fine. But that really should come at the end. And what happens then if you do that is that kids are much more likely to come to you when they're struggling and talk to you and let you know so you can get them help before they start doing something such as um, 
uh, injuring themselves. Hey, this is Dave Wonders, and want to invite you personally to come check out Afternoons with Dave from 2 to 6 Central on 104.3 The Pulse, online at thepulse.mn. On my show, I like to share quotes from dead guys. What is Dave hungry for? And the latest in music news. We have a lot of fun, but we also like to talk about Jesus. Check us out. Now let's get back to the conversation. Let's get back to that discussion we had about cultivating a culture in your home. You know, creating a culture where in, in your household where I've screwed up or I'm I'm struggling does not yeah. mean I'm going to hide, but it's like I, I I need to help and I'm going to go to my parents and say help help instead of hiding. Yes. Well, and and I have two adult children, but I also have two grandchildren. And I've just recently had that discussion with my grandchildren because one of them broke something and didn't tell me. And we just, we had a talk about that. And I said, I just want you to know, we all make mistakes. And I understand that, you know, you probably made a mistake here and dropped this and, and it was fine. You could just tell me, I want you to tell me the truth when those things happen so we can make sure they get fixed and so forth. And I'm not kidding, it was like three days later that one of my grandchildren came to me and said, Nana, um, I want to ask you a question. And it was a very, um, very serious question about something she had observed at school. And I think the fact that I opened up that door earlier and said, you know, you can come to us and tell us anything. We're not going, you're not going to be in trouble because you tell us something. And I even did say, when it comes to something like breaking something or you've damaged something, uh, there probably will be a consequence, but the consequence is going to be gentle. The consequence may be if you've broken something, you might have to pay for it. If you've, you know, stained the carpet, you may have to clean it up. And so it's, it's presented in a way that, yeah, there will be consequences, but these aren't things that you have to be afraid of. We're here to support you and love you. And so you, you want to open that door. And that was, by the way, with an eight-year-old <laughs> that I had that discussion. And so, um, you know, you can start these kinds of things very early on in their lives so these kids are more able to handle the kinds of things that come along that they didn't expect or that are disappointing to them. So what has been kind of the most helpful thing overall to, to pulling people out of maybe persistent self-harm? Like this is not something that they've just kind of dipped their toe in, but this is like a reoccurring mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. How, how do you help pull them out of that? Really, the most helpful thing is some good counseling with a well-trained professional who understands self-harm, um, understands trauma. A lot of people who self-harm are people who have experienced trauma in many other ways in their lives. And so, really, counseling is what is needed most parents who are not mental health professionals aren't really equipped to understand all the nuances of self-harm. But what parents can do that's so helpful is get their kids to some good help. help. And that might start at school. Most schools, especially public schools, but also some um, other you know, Christian schools or private schools will have special services people available, school social workers, school psychologists, school counselors, and so forth, who are very aware of this issue and, and usually very well equipped to help their kids deal with it. If a child has some um, good uh, relationship with counselors or, or other people at school, 
um, that can be a good place to start because, of course, you're not paying for services if kids are getting counseling in the school or if they're working with a school social worker or a school psychologist. Um, or if you're not comfortable with that, then you can seek that help on the outside. And I usually tell people, you know, start with people you trust first, people that you know that maybe they've had children who had issues and went to counseling. Maybe they can give you referrals or pastors at church or leaders at church can give you referrals. And if not, um, one thing I would mention is that Focus on the Family has a counseling line that's free of charge. It's actually a consultation, and you can call and talk with a licensed mental health professional that also is adhering to an evangelical statement of faith. And they can help you uh, kind of sort through what's going on, and if it sounds like your child might need counseling, they can help you find a counselor through the Christian Counselors Network, which is also a network of um, counselors who have the education that we require, they have the licensure we require, and they also adhere to an evangelical statement of faith. And that number to request a call back from a counselor counselor is 855-771-4357, and that number is available Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you're in another time zone, you can just adjust the time there. What word of encouragement would you say to uh, the parent or, or maybe the grandparent of, of someone who is, is self-harming and who is like, they're, <laughs> what do I do? And, and I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it's normal to feel overwhelmed. And of course you would. None of us want to see that our great children or grandchildren are doing anything to hurt themselves. What I would say, though, is that you have the opportunity here to make a significant difference in your child or grandchild's life by getting him or her help. Because, you know, self-harm is not something that indicates that someone is going to be suicidal. In fact, many people who self-harm do not try to die by suicide, but it can happen. And so when you think about where this could go if you don't provide any support at all, that's where the fear comes. And so what's best is to say, okay, this is happening. I understand. I'm not going to make a judgment about why it's happening. I'm going to help my child or grandchild get help. And the other thing that I would say is that um, it's very normal for people to start saying, what did I do? This must be my fault. You know, I, it's, it's because I got a divorce or, or what have you. There are lots of things that might be contributing to it, but it's usually not because the parent or the grandparent is responsible for what has happened. There might be something that contributed to it from a parent or grandparent, but it's much more complex than, you know, I, I had a fight with my daughter and then I found out she was health, self-harming. That's likely not the whole story. So it's important to kind of reserve that let that guilt float away, try to resist the, the um, idea of taking on too much guilt and instead really focus on getting your child help. Dr. Joni, if there's listeners right now mm-hmm. who are, are self-harming, what would you tell to them? I think I would say to them that this is not the way to deal with your pain, that there are some really good ways to deal with your pain and to acknowledge that you're only going to be doing this if you are in a situation where you feel 
in a lot of emotional pain. And there are so many great resources out there, many kinds of therapy that are helpful for people who are doing a lot of self-harm. Um, and that if they can get into that help, that they are likely to be able to put the self-harm behind them and also to be able to get in touch with those emotional feelings and learn how to cope with them in a much healthier way. Well, uh, Dr. Jody, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your wisdom, your insight with us today. It's it's a tough topic, but it, sure uh, it touches a lot of families. And so it's sometimes with those uncomfortable topics, we like to dance around them and just hope that they don't, you know, right. affect us. But uh, as the body of Christ, we're to come alongside of each other and, and bear one another's burdens and, and love each other. And part of that means uncomfortable conversations occasionally. Mm-hmm. And so we need to have those. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to Dave Wonders. You can find more episodes of Dave Wonders on the website, thepulse.mn, or any place you get your podcasts.